So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1412, preparing for a recession with financial expert Maggie Jandro. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The things you can do to prepare for a recession are some money oriented and some not. So the not is prepare your resume, start doing some mock interviews and reach out to your network. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. It's Wednesday, September 21st. And today uh, concludes the two-day Federal Reserve meeting where policymakers are highly expected when they wrap up this meeting today that they're going to raise interest rates by 75 basis points, maybe a whole point. That's the fear that the Fed is going to accelerate its campaign to raise interest rates because we know that inflation has been really, really stubborn. It remains at a 40-year high. So the Fed, this is their number one concern. They want to raise interest rates to clamp down on inflation. This may get us into a recession, maybe a deep one. Our guest today is Magdalena Maggie Jandro, financial advisor, who is both a 2018 Investment News Magazine 40 Under 40 and Investopedia's Top 100 Advisor recipient. She's been featured in Forbes, NBC, NPR, and now So Money. We're going to talk about how to prepare for a possible recession. You just heard a little bit of her advice, get your resume ready, but what other financial moves can we make to really prepare and navigate what could be a really tough time. We also discuss a very important October deadline for some student loan borrowers, what you need to know, and advice for the current generation. I'm looking at you, Gen Z, that's learning a lot about money on social media, sometimes helpful, sometimes not. Maggie has her take on how we can learn about personal finance today. Here's Maggie Jandro. Maggie Jandro, welcome to So Money, a bona fide personal finance finance expert. We're going to tackle a lot of terrain in the next 30 minutes. Grateful to have you on the show. So excited to be here. I'm a big fan. Well, I would love for you to just start by telling us a little bit about what drew you to this space of personal finance. I know that you've worked on Wall Street. You've helped high net worth clients. Now you help everyday people. Tell me about your beginnings and how you ultimately transition to the work that you're doing today. Sure. So I I did study economics in undergrad and even went to a graduate school specifically to go and do economic development. So I pictured myself being in a developing country and helping folks uh, kind of better their lives or uplift their lives through economics. So very different to where I am, but also some similarities, the key there being helping people. Once I, my, my grad degree was from the London School of Economics. And after that, pretty much the right around the 2008 financial crisis and crash. So it was hard to get any sort of job. So to be honest, I applied for a lot of things and got a job at Barclays, which is how my Wall Street career started. But it really had, I just had to pay the bills kind of thing, right? Yeah. I love economics. I love numbers and I love spreadsheets. So that piece was really filled um, by working at Barclays and later JP Morgan. 
but the helping people and the working with people uh, totally wasn't being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so that's ultimately how I got into personal finance because it marries both my love of and my nerdy side of economics with uh, my love for helping others and working with people. When we first connected, you you brought up the fact that you are, I think, a daughter of immigrants or you are an immigrant and I'm, you are an immigrant. Daughter, 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 daughter of immigrants, of immigrants. Yep. from Poland, from Poland. Yep. Both my parents immigrated here in Poland, from Poland, different times. Um, they met here in the United States um, and that's drastically shaped kind of uh, my views on money and kind of how yeah. I got well, that was going to be my question. It's like, you know, I think for a lot of financial professionals, there's obviously the draw to help people. And that's an important sort of gravitational pull towards this concentration. But our our personal stories are also important. And so I would love to learn a little bit more about what your experiences with money were growing up, the lens through which your family looked at the money world and how that shaped you know, your ambitions now professionally? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my parents fled or left Poland because it was communist at the time. And, you know, that really drove this idea of scarcity. So one story, my grandmother or Bapcha, as I call her, um, she would tell me about how there'd only be one of something to buy in town. So for example, her best friend was a seamstress and they got wind <laughs> that one sewing machine was going to come into the town of Limanova, where my dad grew up and where my grandmother still lives. And, uh, you know, she got up at four in the morning to be the first in line because there was lines to get things because of scarcity um, and to, to obtain that sewing machine for her friend. So, I mean, that example really is an, is an example of, of how money was colored for me. Um, so this concept of scarcity, I think that my parents uh, stuck to a very strict budget. They never used credit cards um, and they always wanted a deal. My mom is a quote unquote maximista, like loves TJ Maxx. Um, but they always, you know, it was always like, how can we get something at a discount? Because that's how they grew up, like finding things at a discount or finding there's only one thing in town. The second um, illustration that that story provides is a sense of community. Um, so even here in the United States, there's a huge Polish community. Um, a lot of folks are now second gen or third gen like myself. Um, but that first generation really built, you know, the, the idea of community, of helping your neighbor, um, including, you know, helping financially if, if that was applicable. And lastly, I think the story doesn't shine as much on this, but there's a big distrust of institutions, whether that be banks or government institutions. So I found, and this is anecdotal, but in the Polish community, the Polish expat community, a lot of um, that first gen was afraid to invest their money and afraid, afraid to put all of their money in the bank, afraid to online bank. You know, there's a lot of like under the mattress kind of money. And I think that that was important because it also drove me to kind of understand what is investing and why is it important? Wow. Yeah. That piece about community is not something that we often bring up in a story about scarcity, but I think <laughs> that is so true. And my parents similarly, you know, flood Iran um, came here to build a new life and we loved the Marshalls and the TJ Maxx's of the world. <laughs> but my mom is also, you know, she's the one, she's the person where if you're like, I really like your 
your sweater or your bracelet. She's like, thank you. Do you want it? Um, because oh my God, same. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> she has this, it, she doesn't have an attachment to things because, and I think she knows what it's like to receive. And so she's a real big giver. Um, Cause I think that's the thing about immigrants is like, you come here and you, um, you do a lot on your own, but you also have to rely on help. And, yeah. and that is something that you will never um, be ungrateful for. And that is sort of like you, you, you would inherit this inherit, like it's like reciprocity, right? Like you're always yep. just like, here, just take, take my sweater, take my clothes, take whatever. It's like, I want to so help funny you. you. Say that. That's literally like anytime I compliment my mom on something, she's like, here you go. I'm like, we'll take the yeah. shirt off her back. Yeah. I'm like, mom, I'm just saying it's nice. Right. I don't <laughs> want it. So and I'm, I'm afraid yeah. to tell, call, give her a compliment because <laughs> I'm going to go home with a bag of clothes. Oh um, my goodness. <laughs> it's interesting too, what you said about lacking the trust of institutions. You started working on Wall Street in the great Re- in the Great Recession when a lot of that came to the surface, where people it wasn't a new phenomenon, but like again, here we are, where banks are falling apart, um, people are losing their homes, um, subprime mortgage explosion, all the things which then lended itself to things like crypto because then the marketing around crypto is like, we can't trust the institutions. We have to create this decentralized monetary system, but then we know crypto is also imperfect. So how do you encourage um, today's investors, your clients to participate in a system that is still very much working through things and not always trustworthy. And just because you're the new shiny object or you're the crypto or the new fintech that's anti-establishment, that doesn't mean that we have to jump in and blindly trust that either, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny um, watching my parents go through 2008. So here they are not trusting institutions. Somebody convinced them um, you know, to, to work with a financial advisor, happened to be in the Polish community, um, and to invest their money. And, you know, my mom in 2008 pulled all her money out. <laughs> and I was, you know, too green to be able to, I don't even know if we share she shared that with me at the time. And, you know, it's it's nothing to to, I don't know the, this advisor. So they could have done all the right stuff, but clearly there was a disconnect between what you're supposed to do, which you know, most people will know is leave it in there. It's it's hitting rock bottom. Now's not the time to pull the money out because, um, you know, you're, you're then realizing that loss. If you don't pull your money out uh, of the market and put it into cash, then it, it's really just a loss on paper. And as we've seen time and time again, since the Great Depression all the way to now, markets recover, right? And while history can't you know, necessarily predict the future. We've seen this ongoing pattern pattern of recovery. And so probably many financial advisors would say the worst thing my mom did was pull her money out of time. And to me, it means that even if this advisor was wonderful, there was a lack of education and communication provided to my parents at that moment that obviously could have been so critical. Like just think about where the stock market is from 2008 to now, even with this volatility that we're experiencing, we're still higher than where we were in 2008. And so I think that moment when I learned about it, I realized that I really need to bring, take out the jargon and really explain to people, you know, and educate folks on 
what the stock market is, what to do during a, a financial crisis, what not to do, and make sure they really understand that. You know, and I'm, I'm pretty proud to say that we just saw, you know, the recession in 2020. Um, all of my clients were were uncomfortable, but kept their money in and we're happy to do so. And now we're going through it again. So I think that education, if there's anything I learned is that education is key to understanding what you should do with your money, whether that's invested or not. Right. And I think if something's not transparent or something sounds too good to be true, pause and think about why that is because chances are it it might be. Well, on the topic of recessions, we technically might be in one, but we're not really calling it that because (laughs) the job market is really relatively strong. And while layoffs are happening, it's still, it's hard to call it really a recession, but we can sort of see the handwriting on the wall. And this is one of the first times, at least in my recent memory, where you like could see the recession coming (laughs) a mile, 10 miles away. Yeah. You know, recessions tend to creep up on us. Like the 2021 was pandemic led and who could have foreseen that? The the one in 2000, 2009, apparently nobody knew that was happening. And, but this one, we can sort of see where things are headed. And I think the consensus is we're going to be in a recession next year. So ahead of that, what are you telling your clients in terms of securing their income, securing their their budgets, making sure they're spending wisely, all of that. How should we be like almost re-auditing ourselves right now? Yeah. As you said, textbook definition, two negative quarters of economic growth, we hit that, right? That's right. what define a recession. But as you also said, the experts are unwilling to call it a recession um, because of strong job numbers, really. Um and, and so we're seeing a couple of good things. So inflation's come down, right? Our, our peak was 9.1%. Even this last reading, though the market kind of reacted uh, negatively to it, it still came down, right? It came down from, I think, 8.6 to 8.3. Um, so we're trending in the right direction, which is good news um, and, and may make any sort of potential recession not as deep um, or as long as past ones we've seen. So that's kind of kind of the bright bright uh, light here. I would say the things you can do to prepare for a recession are some money oriented and some not. So the not is prepare your resume, start doing some mock interviews and reach out to your network. Um, you want to start doing that now before the big layoffs happen, um, because then you're going to be top of mind to folks then when they're being flooded with 10 or 15 people that all lost their job and are looking to network. So I would start that now and I'd, I'd have that resume ready now. Um, in terms of finances, I would make sure to pay off your high interest credit card debt or as much as you can of it. You know, the Federal Reserve has raised rates and they likely are going to continue to do so, which uh, indirectly does correlate with credit card uh, variable interest rates. So try to try to pay that down because that's going to be that debt's going to be more expensive. And then exactly have that emergency fund, which I usually say at least three months worth of your living expenses, but ahead of a recession, if you can try to make it six months worth. You know, and in terms of investing, take stock of where's your income coming from. So if you're still working, chances are you're not going to need your investments right now. So don't worry about them right now. But if you're in retirement, you might be living on those investments. So take stock of what are your sources of income that aren't related to the markets. That might be social security, pension, some sort of guaranteed income annuity. Um, you know, there's other sources that aren't reliant on the markets that you're going to live on during a recession. 
And lastly, you know, recessions are times where things are on sale, so to speak. So, you know, we're sort of there now. The markets are down year to date, could get worse, but now probably wouldn't be the time to pull your money because things are already down. Instead, what I usually tell folks is to dollar cost average in. So what that means is put in the same amount of money every single month or, or biweekly or whatever is comfortable for you, regardless of what's happening in the market. And over time, you're going to get the most fair average price. Mm-hmm. Great advice. I hadn't thought about uh, getting the resume mm. up and running now before everybody's lost their job. Yep. Yep. I lost Absolutely. my job in 2009 and it, yeah, there were, there was nothing for me at that point. No, nope. <laughs> I feel you. That's when I was looking for a job. That's when I was like, entrepreneurship yeah. looks really, really great at this point. And you know, a lot of folks decide to be entrepreneurs and a lot of really great um, companies are built out of recession. So Twitter was built out of the 2008 recession um, and look at where it is now. So, you know, even though it's hard to go through those recessions, try to think of it as that learning opportunity or as that chance to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Some things that are a little bit sooner on the docket, uh, you know, recession, they're calling that in 2023, the experts, but we know, for example, there is a deadline at the end of October, which you think is very important for those with student loans. Tell us about the PSLF deadline and and what we can do to uh, gear up for it. Yeah. So the PSLF is the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. And that says that if you make 120 qualifying payments... Um, and you're working for uh, an organization that qualifies for this loan forgiveness, so that typically is a 501c3 nonprofit or a government organization. Um, if, if you make those 120 qualifying payments, your the remainder of your loan will be forgiven. And so there's been a lot in the news um, about the kind of the first people that applied for the PSLF and were denied. Um, the denial rate was pretty high. I want to say it was like 99%. And the reason folks are getting denied is because there's a lot of different provisions um, that need to be correct in order to have those payments qualify. So your loan type needs to be correct. It needs to be an eligible government loan. You need to make sure that your employer is eligible. Um, And you need to make sure that you're in an income-based repayment program and that you're making those payments on time. So for example, maybe some folks said, I'm on a government loan, um, but they didn't realize that it wasn't a federal direct loan. Um, And therefore those payments they were making were not counted. And so um, our current administration realized this was a problem. Like a lot of people were were relying on this loan forgiveness, maybe didn't even take corporate jobs, right? And stayed in their government or nonprofit jobs um, in order to, to, for longer to qualify for this program and they were denied. So they created a waiver program and the deadline to take advantage of it is October 31st of 2022. So it's creeping up. Um, They created this waiver program to fix any sort of these discrepancies on past payments. So I have a couple of clients that, you know, were denied um, because they weren't working with me yet. So they kind of were just making their payments, thinking that that uh, the PSLF, they qualify for it. And now we're working through, you know, making sure their loan is in that federal direct loan or the federal direct consolidated loan or they are on an income-based repayment plan. And those past payments that weren't counted now will count. And many of these people are going to have their loans forgiven, um, which is really exciting. 
that is really exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, the PSLF program was so fraught. It was basically a non-program. <laughs> Helping only 1% of, I don't think that's very... Uh, Not successful, no. <laughs> yeah, but now <laughs> hopefully more was, people... It was created uh, with good intentions, but I think, you know, there's so much fine print and, you know, as somebody who had student loans going into college, um, you know, when you're 17 years old um, and you're signing up for these loans... It, they make you do this like online program. That's so there's so much fine print and there's no way any teenagers reading all that. Right. And that's when most people are signing up for loans. Um, and, you know, some people can blame me or blame those saying uh, you didn't read the fine print, but you know what, what 16 or 17 year old is. Right. And there's still teenagers brains are still not fully developed. So uh, yeah, I think it had good intentions, but um, those that are processing the loan are really sticking hard and fast to those guidelines. Um, and so it's exciting that, that we can make, fix some of these mistakes as adults uh, you know, that, that maybe we made when we were younger. One last question about student loan debt. I mean, what's your advice now to a family that is looking to save for the future, for college expenses, for their, let's say, current five, 10-year-old now? Um, should they be saving as much? Do you see a real seismic change happening within the college uh, industrial complex, you know, so that it's not the, the, the cost to go, to go to college is not growing at, you know, multiple times of, of inflation every single year. Um, or, or are we just going to be back in this boat essentially in, in years to come? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the government can, can really, for the most part, control public universities or colleges. I think that it will be harder um, just given that, that we're capitalistic. You know, democratic they society. could tax the universities more. That's right. That's right. I certainly I don't do know something that, like that. I don't know if that is even in, like high on the docket, but I do think where they're trying to look at reform currently is those public universities. Um, and so, you know, things that I've heard or read about is, you know, uh, doing a two-year associates at a community college. A lot of states already have set, announced, I believe Rhode Island did, um, that you can get community college for free, right? Um, and so do two years at that community college and then transfer in to another public four-year university. Um, I, I would say try to take advantage if you do need to do loans um, of the government loans. There's a lot of better programs out there like the PSLF or like the teacher loan forgiveness program. Um, you know, once you're you're going down the private route, that's where things I think get trickier, where loans are, are often bigger um, and, and the interest on them is higher. Um, and really the only advice for folks with private loans is to think about consolidating them and refinancing them for lower interest. Um, so, so I would definitely rethink how we're viewing college or, or university. Um, consider trade schools. There's going to be a massive shortage of folks in the trade as, as boomers retire. Um, and, and I think there are a lot of calculators out there online to see, you know, at the current 6% rate of inflation, how much will schools cost and just make sure you have a plan. So maybe you save for part of it, take out loans for part of it and, and work to pay for part of it. Right. Um, but just don't blindly sign those glossy financial aid packages because often there are lots of loans included in them and only a smaller amount of grants. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. It's just it just really in, makes me so angry when these 
universities charge so much. And, and, you know, the reality is they're going to get people that will pay full price because I think it was, uh, the, at one point it was the president of a university, uh, I believe in Washington, DC, I will, who will remain nameless. Uh, <laughs> I don't really remember the school, so I don't want to get this one wrong, but this was essentially the, the public statement that he made. He said, you know what? We can raise tuition because people will continue to pay. And who's going to pay? It's the rich people from overseas that come and pay. So what they had found was that this one particular school, their international student base had grown, you know, by so much because uh, those folk, those who are privileged can come here and get an education and they will pay whatever they have to pay. Um, and, And they're not taking out the loans and all that. And so they're subsidizing in some ways, you know, this ability for these universities to charge what they want to charge and, and be okay with like, you know, then everybody else may be um, not coming or taking on debt or whatever and, and not feeling accountable to that. So it's, it's just a, it's fraught. The other thing to think about too, is like, you know, then these students, if they are coming from international, are they staying here no. or are they going back home? Because yeah. if they're like, if they were to stay here, well, okay, we've just now trained a new worker base because let's be clear, our birth rates are very low and we're going to have, you know, a, a job crisis as the biggest generation, the boomers retire. We need folks to fill those roles and folks are getting married later, having children later and having less children. I think the latest statistic I saw for the United States to kind of maintain its worker base is that every young person needs to have, or couple needs to have two and a half children, which really means three, right? Because <laughs> you can have a half a kid. Um, and, but that's that's the t- statistic. And a lot of folks are opting not to have children or just to have one. Um, and we're going to have a, a, a labor shortage. Um, and that's really important for economic output, right? Yeah. So GDP, and, and efficiency of of, of uh, economic output all depends on creating more efficiencies or having more workers. Yeah. So I will have to find the technology to create the output or we need more people. And so it's fine to have, um, of course, folks internationally come and, and get an education, but we don't really have a good path to have them stay here and use the knowledge of our great institutions and put it back into our And invest our it back place. into our country, exactly. right? Um, exactly. You know, an an American degree in a in another country is very is probably more valuable (laughs) than it is in our own country. To be honest, Um, you know, I went to graduate school at Columbia, and one of my classmates was from India, and he said to us, "This, I'm just here for the degree. I'm going back to India because with this degree, I can essentially run. I can have any job I want." You know, mm-hmm. um, and he did. He went back and he like ran a huge newspaper and good for him. Uh, but I agree. I think that if we could incentivize these these folks to stay and in well, that's a whole other podcast. But my point is, is that one, universities are not incentivized. The you know, universities are not incentivized. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can't, right? So so even if they want to stay, the really the the biggest path at this point to stay in the United States is to get sponsored by an employer. And that's quite expensive. So, you know, if an employer can't have the means or doesn't want to spend to sponsor an international student or worker, you know, they don't have a choice but to go home. So, um, yeah, I, that, like you said, it's a whole nother pod, but it is definitely um, something to think about when it comes yeah. to uh, college reform. We have just a few minutes left before Zoom cuts us off here. Uh, so Maggie, <laughs> want to talk a little bit about your parting advice for uh, 
the current generation who's learning a lot on social media, learning a lot about money on social media, they're not reading books, they're not uh, taking on a coach, they're not working with financial advisors. And while I don't think you have to do those things, there is a challenge when your main source of information is a a social media platform like TikTok, where 50% of more than 50% of searches, online searches are being generated from TikTok of of all sorts of searches, not just money questions. But what's your advice for how someone can get started to educate themselves? Yeah, I I think be mindful of which content you are consuming off of TikTok or other social media platforms. It's really interesting because a lot of uh, clients that I work with have their PhD in immunology or medicine or they're, they're physicians. And they're not allowed to, or they are heavily regulated as to what they can say on social media platforms. Same goes for someone like me. You know, I'm regulated by the SEC and by FINRA. And so I have I, I have a lot of very strict regulations on what I can or cannot say on a social media platform. And so what I'm trying to get at is those that that maybe are considered experts or most knowledgeable in these industries can't go on these platforms. So that kind of begs the question, like who is then on the platform, right? (laughs) And I'm not... And I'm not saying there aren't people that are, you know, I I have a few people I love to follow that are former traders or formerly on Wall Street that are that are very smart. And I agree with what they say, but they had to drop those regulations in order to say what they're saying. But that also leads anyone, you know, I think that anyone can get on there and say, buy this or sell that. And, you know, just just be mindful of what their background is. What is the credential and what is their ultimate goal? Like, are they trying to sell you something or are they truly just education based? Right. Um, I think in terms of where to look for education, um, go to advisors, websites, advisors that are regulated. You know, we have a blog, for example, we do have some social media and we use that completely to educate. And I know a lot of other folks in the industry do the same thing. Um, our goal is really just to ha- help people start, you know, on their own or or in the future if they need to work with us. So just be aware of what someone's background is. You know, I don't know if you'd want me as a financial advisor giving you medical advice, but I know there are people out there that are trying to do that. So (laughs) Maggie, thank you so much. And tell us where we can find all that great information. Sure. If you go to our website, which is jondrowealth.com, you'll find our blog or social media. And uh, I hope to interact with you on those platforms. Awesome. We'll be sure to put that link in our episode notes. Maggie Jondro, thanks so much for all this widely important information. Thank you. Thanks so much to Maggie for joining us. Our website again is John Drow Wealth, John, D-R-O-W, wealth.com. You can follow Maggie on Instagram at MaggieNomics. I'll put those links in our episode notes. I'll see you back here on Friday and I hope your day is so money. Money.